to Finding Games, the podcast where we talk to people who work in the tabletop games industry and find out how they got here. Observant listeners may have noticed that we've closed the Needy Cat Patreon. We are still editing podcasts, but the success of lockdowns and the impact that's had on our workloads over the past few months has really made us realise that we couldn't release content as consistently as we wanted. However, we are still working on the Finding Games podcast in the background of everything else we're doing, and we still want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's supported us over the years. If you'd really like to show some support, you can find me on Ko-fi under Sophie Makes Terrain, all one word. But either way, thanks for bearing with us. In this podcast, we're chatting to Bez. This podcast was recorded back in October, so my apologies to Bez for taking so long and getting this edited. Bez is a tabletop game designer and a Twitch streamer, so let's hear what she has to say. I mean, there's a lot of um, difference between, for sure, pre-recorded stuff and live stuff, and I don't know parts of the reason why I'm doing streaming is because, you know, there's lots of reasons, but the re- a big reason why of my approach of just doing this stuff is, you know, just get it done and mm. not making it perfect. Because if I make a really nice video, I want to spend that effort on maybe something for a Kickstarter or something where I'm like, okay, this is my project. I'm talking about this game. Okay, if I'm doing a how to play for my own game, then honestly, like I've even started getting Chris on to like help me once a week, although I'm hoping that they could go down to like three days a week on their order job and like help me two days a week but like it's you know I need to have the budget to kind of make sure that I can pay them for like a good long time in case anyway like is this part of the conversation or are we going no, to No, I was just enjoying your chat but we can totally put this in it's fine we... but yeah no we just started chatting didn't we this is yeah. I see I'm terrible at the start of a podcast um so I suppose I should ask you how are you I am generally okay. You know what? In this day and age, it's a really... <sighs> I'm sorry. It's just like a really big question, you know? How yeah. the devil are you? And I am not good. I am not... Well, I am... Um, we talked about it for a while. Like, I talked about it with some friends earlier today. Like, um, had had someone saying, hey, do you have any games that you'd like to pitch us and were reaching out to me after I'd seen them at Nuremberg and Cannes? And it's like, I'm feeling really privileged that I'm in this situation where there are people asking me to work on things and there's a company that I don't want to name yet that, you know, got in touch with me on, I think, Saturday after one of my streams to say, hey, um, actually, we have this game that maybe you would like to do a bit of development on, which is great. But actually that work of designing, it's just really hard to stay focused these days. And I've kind of moved to streaming. And part of that is it's fun listening to people, fun chatting to people, fun learning from people. But I kind of feel like right now I need to kind of accept that this year is something of a sabbatical. Yes, I am working a lot on the L deck. Yes, I've I mean, I'm actually, I'm just, no one at home can see, but um, yeah, I've got um, typography that I'm working on for Categorical, which is going to be the sort of second typography for the LDEC, and we're kind of going through, checking the shapes of the letters, and there's going to be a lot of work to do with that, and I'm hoping to have it that out as soon as possible, and I'm 
looking forward to getting out more stuff to people like that and the reprints of Kitty Cataclysm and also Plus, which is a game that I'm really proud of, all about counting up shapes and colours really quickly. So it's great for kids, but it's also got a really nice catch-up mechanism where you need to, every time you get a point, it becomes a little bit harder for you because you get more cards to count, inspired by my own Wibble. Anyway, like, I guess I am doing things, and when I say it out loud, it's like, yeah, actually, there is quite a bit going on. But every week, we kind of feel like, yeah, I'm not doing enough, I'm not doing enough, like, what on earth am I doing? And to a certain extent, I feel like it's really important in this day and age to be able to pull myself away from the screen and to say, you know what, I'm going to read a comic. I'm going to even, okay, even though this is technically still, okay, improving myself for my career, I'm reading through Jeff Engelstein and Isaac Shalev's books, um, book, sorry, Building Blocks of Game Design. It's really good. Mm. I don't know if you know the one. Like, Yeah, I think I've, I've, I think I've read some of it. I haven't read it, like, from front to cover. Like, they say in it that it's not meant to be a cover to cover, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, the front's also a cover. It's not... I suppose, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. But, um, no, it's, like, just a really nice sitting down and reading it and saying, you know what, they've got all these examples of games, but... I'm not going to look up all these games on BGG as long as I know a couple of them and I understand the gist of what they're saying. I can go off and reread it to later time. And I've even been reading a bit of um, some comics which are nothing to do with games. I've been reading The Prince and the Dressmaker. I don't know if you know this one. No, I don't. By know Jen that. Wang. It's a lovely comic. Absolutely recommend it to everyone. So, Prince and Dressmaker. Obviously, so for those who don't know me, I identify as a genderqueer kind of trans woman. I would say I... Anyway, so this is a story about a prince who's very much ingrained into this role of being a prince and marrying someone and then they sometimes they want to dress up in dresses. And so they hire this person to make dresses and it's all about that relationship of them and their identity and coming out to everyone around them and how things work and that constant inner turmoil it's not like a big depressing book it's quite light it's drawn almost as a children's thing but oh, wow. it's really lovely reading and then i also read band book club by ryan estrada that i had on my stream a while back um, which was a comic all about how in korea south korea not North Korea, obviously things are a lot harsher in North Korea, but mm. even in South Korea, you know, they had lots of books that were banned because they actually exposed ugly truths about the leadership. And so even nowadays, it's not 100% great, but like just sitting back and reading a story and because it's a little bit easier to read a comic, it's in this day and age where maybe it's hard to focus. I don't want to always read a storybook a book of fiction which might take me 10 hours to get through and and I keep having to come back to it. Whereas with a comic book, it's like, okay, here's a guilt-free break. I'm going to take this afternoon off. I'm going to spend, you know, three hours reading through these two comics and it's such a joyous thing. Oh, that sounds lovely. I mean, there has been a lot of rubbish in the world, but it's important to focus on the positive. So yeah, I've managed to draw. I've Managed to get outside, have a little bit of a walk through the park. I managed to do that. I'm quite proud of myself. Um, having someone over tonight, it's like there's basically three people outside of my house who I meet on a very regular basis. And so I'm not one of these people who goes up to the law. And I, oh my gosh, I don't want to get into the whole ridiculousness of this rule of six. It is, look, oh, any gamer yeah. understands that six people at a time does not limit the number of people in a week. It's ridiculous. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, I know. I absolutely empathise because as well, like my daughter's just gone to school and so I can't help but feel about like, why does it matter how many people I'm meeting? Because she's she's got like 30 kids in her class. Mm. So like, <laughs> you know, there's I have no control over those other 30 people um, and their families and their bubbles. So the best way of doing is just keeping as small as we can to try and stop it outside of the big bubble. Mm. Um, and we'll see how that goes. It's all a balance, isn't it? Because yep. we need to be physically safe and avoid being a vector. But at mm -hmm. the same time, I mean, for those who don't know, I guess, should we say like this is the 8th of October 2020? We're both based in the UK. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah so this is like, yeah, in the middle of the crisis like it's not mm. the start it's not the end so it's somewhere in the middle i mean i don't know whether it will be like five months in the future we'll finish or two years in the future or oh you know maybe there will be i mean fingers crossed for goodness sake that there will be an end i really i think there'll be there will be an end but you know who knows how long that'll be Oh, I mean, sometimes I get really despondent and sometimes I get really depressed, like sometimes late at night. It's like, yeah, I just really miss people. I miss hugs. I miss kind of going off and I actually started dating someone. I'm willing to share that publicly. So I've had two dates. We've been chatting. So we met on OkCupid um, around March. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> so then... <laughs> Yeah, it was maybe the end of March, start of April. We chatted a lot. We've chatted so many hours on WhatsApp and we had some sorts of dates where we chatted for like maybe two hours on the phone, like with video. Like we've had like, okay, one of us has been eating and it's been very casual. And then we met up recently. Um, I think it was about three, four weeks ago and maybe a month ago. And then we're like, oh, this was lovely like to see again. And then we met up again for the second time last Sunday, which was oh, lovely. super lovely. And um, I did I did go to a restaurant. It did seem very safe. Obviously, we put on a mask whenever we were going to the loo. We put on our mask. And I know That's this is a board do, game really. thing, but it's like affects everything, doesn't it? It does. Sorry, it and does. I feel like we should get to the first section, otherwise we'll oh, be yeah. just chatting no, for like five no. hours. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely up for talking about this sort of stuff because I, I think that um, as a culture, and I've said this in a previous podcast as well, is that I think we have a really bad habit as a culture to, when someone says, how are you, our gut response is to just go, fine. And and not talk about this stuff. And the whole point of this of this entire podcast is to talk about the individual and to mm. find out about individuals who who have had a unique and wonderful journey into the tabletop games industry. And that means talking about you as an as a person rather than just going, yeah, yeah I'm fine. <laughs> like generic response number three. You know what I mean? Like so, I think it's really important to actually, you know, really investigate when people say, "How are you?" Being willing to listen to that and to investigate those those issues and to to give people space to be able to respond. I mean, there's a lot of nuance, and for sure, when my housemates used to ask me, um, which I think they've slowed down because they hate me saying, "Oh, could be worse" or "Not terrible." Because I like to, you know, be honest. And look, if I say I'm actually doing good, then I that means I'm doing good. If I'm doing great, I will tell you I'm doing great. And the truth is, I've not done good or great for quite a while now. Um, but um, if I'm doing okay, like being okay is sometimes a good thing in itself. Like I am feeling okay. 
and there is some good things to appreciate. And if I'm feeling bad, I'll say, well, I'm not terrible. And in my mind, what I'm basically saying is, well, at least I'm not terrible. And if I am terrible, I'll say it could be worse. And if someone says, well, what do you mean? I'll say, well, you know what? Like, I could be, like, being tortured, like, you know, as a That's war a bit criminal. That's an extreme example, though, isn't it? For, like, you know, some, some days, some days you feel that bad and you've got to always yeah. remember it could be worse. Like, some yeah. days when you struggle to get out of bed and, you know, I've mentioned my stream, so, like, I've done this... 1059 days I think it was today. The reason that I started I think it was um, you know Heather Newton had said you know Bez you've told me you have trouble getting out of bed this other person does this daily stream maybe that would be something that you could consider because I'd mm. already started this um, streaming like two times a week at the start it was freed and so it kind of depended on what everyone else was up to now we've kept that up every single tuesday and everyone's invited if you want to join in like reach out to me stuffbybez at gmail.com or my dms are open on twitter stuffbybez s2ffbybez but the point is like that's just kind of getting together and having a bit of fun but it's in the evening and once that's it then okay you go to bed but having something in the morning that means that you get up, you get out of bed, potentially at a reasonable hour, and then you've still got the day ahead of you, which is quite nice. And so I heard about this other person who did this daily show, and they do it all on their own. It's like an hour every day for them, and then I didn't actually watch any of their episodes, maybe like half of one of them. And I was like, okay, this is quite interesting that I watched a video where they said what I've learned after having done it for a hundred episodes. Anyway, this person's a much bigger deal than I am. They're kind of doing it in an investment and um, financial kind of sector. It's totally different. But mm. I was like, you know what? This is a really good way for me to get out of bed. I'll do this show. And on the first day, there was this one person, Alan Alton, who's kind of who was there for basically so many. Like, out of 159 episodes, they've missed about, I don't know, five or six. And so having one person at the start who actually tuned into my second, it gave me a bit of pressure to get up at like 10 a.m. And the reason I mentioned your collective is, is because I was thinking, okay, what time should I do it? Should I do it 9 a.m.? That seems like a good time, but wait a minute. There's this thing which apparently I can join in and I've always wanted to join in your things. So apparently that's 8 to 10. So maybe I should do it at 7. Oh, that's too early. I couldn't manage getting up. So maybe I'll do it at 10. Yeah, that seems reasonable. So that was basically my thinking. I would not have, it is the one thing that gets me out of bed. For a while, mm. I was able to do a wee bit of exercise and okay, that was me getting into routine at least. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think um, generally, you know what? I am okay to answer the opening question. <laughs> No, but it's really interesting because I've not realised, because I'm an extrovert and mm. I'm a rare being, I'm not rare, but less common being in this world of uh, more geeky pursuits. I mean, there's a whole ton of us. I mean, I'm fairly extrovert. So but the thing is, is that people, <laughs> I mean, like literally I've worked in shops, I've worked in big offices, you know, in games workshop and stuff where everyone's like, oh, you're, you're an extrovert. Oh, don't talk to me. And it, you do feel a bit like, not pariah. like. And I know some people that say, okay, I go into games workshop and then every someone comes over and says hey can i help you and for me oh that's a bit much mm. but apparently is it true well you've been out of the loop of games workshop for a while now but is it was it true that you get told okay make sure you approach everyone who comes in through the door yeah. is that yeah 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 you have to say hello but it i mean obviously you you need to use uh common sense as to how you do that 
and and how you start a conversation like you're supposed to try but that doesn't mean you hound people do you know what i mean like so yeah, i mean and... i used to train people on that and it yeah i used to constantly just be like you're right and they'd be like i don't i'm just looking and you'd be like that's fine just how are you and they'd be like oh yeah i'm okay thanks and you'd be like cool and then you just leave them be and then they know that you're there if you know you, you want to have that 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 you conversation know, it's a weird one um because even before these times of pandemic um so I don't want to name names because I don't know if this person would want to be named, but there's this lovely person that I play tests with regularly. I mean, there's many lovely people that I played, well, tested with, I'm going to put that into the past tense. At Royal Festival Hall, we had this thing for about three years. And then, yeah, every single Friday, well, it started off alternating Wednesdays and Fridays. Anyway, so someone was saying, you know what, Bez, when you ask, how are you? That's quite an imposition for me. And it's a bit much for an opening gambit. And it's like, you know what, that's quite an intense question. If you actually take that literally, how are you? Because look, we've we had a 20 minute conversation about how I am. Mm. And that's not necessarily something that I would want to open up to anyone. Like, even if my housemate says, oh, how are you? You know, today I say, oh, come see, come see. The point is that it is, if you want to go into detail, if you feel like the other person actually cares, it's like, whoa, am I willing to admit that I'm feeling bad today? Am I willing to admit that I've actually had a really rough day and this is the most exposure to other people that I'm likely to have all day and it's not because of a pandemic going on, it's because I'm just really nervous around people and walking into a shop is the most that I'm going to be able to manage. And so this lovely person said to me, hey, maybe instead of saying this, say, have you been waiting long? Or are you in here for anything in particular? Or no, um, hope you're well, something like that, even if it's a statement. And then they say, oh, thank you. Although you kind of want to ask a question so that you know if they've heard you. It's a difficult one though, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is is tricky. I think it it always relies on the context as well. Like, um, I mean, as I said earlier, we have a bad habit, uh, you know, culturally to just say, oh, yeah, fine, regardless. But Mm. also that is a sort of social lubricant with people you don't know. So Mm. like we it's like a pre-established script almost, isn't it? So if it's someone you don't know and you go, how are you? The expected response is, oh, yeah, fine. Um, mm. Now that's not always. I, I can see totally the other perspective, which is that people go, "Well, I don't want to answer." Uh, yeah, fine. When I'm not fine, um, but I, you know, it is a tricky one, and it is one that sort of promotes a bit of thought as to how you could navigate that by asking a question in a different way. I mean, for sure. Like on this on this podcast, like I think it's perfectly reasonable because people are prepared to open up anyway, mm. and it's a bit more of an intimate setting. And so I'm not saying, oh, how dare you ask me how I am, but... um... But it's a really interesting point, isn't it? To sort of challenge those sort of pre-established formulas that we have within... Mm. I want to say like social library. Those are the things that I say to build a rapport with people. Yeah. And maybe I need to re-examine those and think about different ways of doing it. And it's really interesting that that person did feel comfortable with you to open up enough to tell you that that was a mm. difficult question, which is really, really useful and is a, a really interesting insight. So thank you for that. You're very welcome. Well, we've got on a bit of a meandering <laughs> chat anyway, and I love, I'm, I'm all up for tangents. Uh, but let's talk about you and like how you discovered tabletop games. In We've the first already place. been talking about me. 
<laughs> this whole thing, it's just like, I know, like, people, who was it? Richard Simpson, you know, We're Not Wizards? And mm. then they were on Emma's podcast, that Pointless Parrot show, and said, oh, it's like, it was someone else as well before who said, oh, this is like free therapy. And, <laughs> and mm. maybe that's how I come from it. Maybe that's something that's got me into this because social dynamics can be hard to navigate and mm. having games you know getting back to your question of how i got into games it's like this whole um it's a safe space to experiment i know raf coster obviously in a theory of fun talks about games are a space safe space for learning yeah. and for me they've been such a massive developmental thing look my first memory is of a spectrum loading screen and i'm going to give a little bit of background noise which you might have to reduce in volume or something to <laughs> make it less unpalatable when it goes yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely my eldest brother had a, a spectrum as well and i remember my mum sitting there with the magazines you used to buy uh, which had all the code that you'd program in and oh, yeah. she'd be reading it out doggedly and he'd be <laughs> programming it in. And then after like 10 pages, it wouldn't work. And they'd have to, and it'd be because there was a backslash instead of a forward slash or something somewhere. Or a capital letter instead of a lowercase letter. Yeah, it, it's weird, isn't it? That games have become such an integral part of our history. Um, and I think a lot of people underestimate the value of that and how important that is to our development. Yeah, I mean... This was before I properly could interact with anything. I had a vague understanding of, okay, this is a television. But the fact that they were interacting with a thing, the fact that they were just interacting with something that I didn't think you could interact with, to me, that was magical. Mm -hmm. And from there, like, when I was playing other people's things, it was Load Runner, it was Arkanoid, so all the and Prince of Persia, like that original, not the reboots, the original Prince of Persia, that was classic. Anyways, so um, like I was mesmerized. I was thinking, wow, growing up from the ages of when I could actually have a solid set of memories was okay. Going round to other people's homes where they have a computer, and then I'm learning about these games, and it's almost because you only get to play it a little bit, mm -hmm. it fills you with more wonderment than if you actually played it properly. Mm. Because if you got to play it for like the full 40, 50 hours, then you start to get to know, okay, these are the limitations of the game. Do you know what I mean? Whereas mm. if you sort of just play a side-scrolling thing, then it's like, oh my God, anything could happen. You don't know what's around the next screen. You don't know what could happen if you press this button. And so I ended up like drawing all these maps. I ended up, you know, learning about the limitations of what these things have. And then mm. when my school got these BBC computers and I was able to start programming stuff on the BBC and then I do come from a somewhat well-off family. I am privileged in that way. I managed to get to TI-83 and then I had like this TI-83 that I programmed on and so I made a proper like it was a top-down adventure game. Kind of like Zelda but much worse if you know what I mean. <laughs> So it was like that, but like everything was a little dot and you didn't, you were kind of running away from things that moved a little bit slower than you and if they ever touched you, you would die and you had to walk up the stairs and you had to fall down a crack to get the treasure chest on the floor below. And then there were like little coordinates that you changed and the world map wasn't like a world map, it was literally just a set of coordinates. And then if you went to the right coordinates, it would say, this is what's at this place. Hey, this is a shop. And then you press like the little button and it was like a thing that took up basically half the calculator memory. 
<laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, and I have no records of this game anymore, I don't oh, think. No. But, but um, there was like so many things I went to. And so originally, look, the way I got to board games and I... If you want to hear me say this exact same story in a slightly different way, we are not wizards. I've already talked about it. But um, it's like basically through video games. And um, I always thought I was going to be a video game developer. I thought I was going to be... I hate programming. I cannot overstate that. I despise it. I love it. It made me literally... Um, depressed and fall out of love with life for a while so i went to um Aberty in dundee i don't know if you've heard of this place we were the second every year mm -hmm. so i was really excited to get onto this course i remember it i mean i still i don't read edge as voraciously as i used to yeah i still have a subscription to edge but i don't read i used to read it literally cover to cover and i think the first ever copy i bought was like 30 something and this was before I'd made anything. I was just, here's something that appreciates what video games can be and what they yeah. could be. And the magnificence of them and treats them like a real art form. And of course, nowadays we've got things like Senate, which is mm. an amazing magazine by Dan Jolin, I want to say. And I can't remember who else works on it, but loads of people. But um, anyway, brilliant magazine. And like, there's all these things that actually treat it seriously. And even Tabletop Gaming Magazine. Like, yes, they have the reviews and all that, but they also have... You know these wonderful features which is hey let's explore these board games from different countries and let's treat these things with the respect that they deserve and edge magazine for me was amazing because i was already in love with video games and you know super play i don't know if you remember that one the snes magazine Oh, like, I remember it being on the shelves, but I did not have a SNES, so I had an Amiga, thank you. So, uh... <laughs> I got a SNES and a Mega Drive, I think about 96, 95. Mm. So basically, just when the N64 was about to come out. And I managed to get, like, the Saturn and, like, Saturn Bomberman and bringing people together and the joy of having people around the same TV screen. And yeah, as a child, we did play Monopoly, and we played Risk, and I love those games. I think there's... Look, as an adult, I would choose to not play long games of player elimination. To me, that's the biggest crime that these games commit. To me, it's... There's not... If you want to play a five-hour game that has a lot of randomness and doesn't have any big, meaningful decisions, then sure, Monopoly is fairly reasonable, but... Um, it's the player elimination, which to my mind makes it an actually, which is the worst um, aspect. Yeah. But, um, I mean, does everyone play? I mean, for sure, all children play, I think, and mm. all animals kind of play in Absolutely. some sense. And But do all people play board games? I mean, I don't think so. Maybe no. it's like everyone eats, but does everyone eat interesting tasting food? Does everyone eat? And actually, is anyone mindful of that? I mean, it's a very different thing. I'm not going to make this a whole show of comparing food to board games. <laughs> Stepping back, um, before I went to university, it was me sitting in my room. I had made some games on my TIT3, but I saw like, oh, Saturn Bomberman, I absolutely adore this. And mm -hmm. having six people over, and it was like, okay, 
if I was the head of Hudson Soft, because I imagined that there was someone who basically just told other people what to do, I was like, okay, we need this, 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 okay, you do it. I mean, but then I got introduced to things like Denki. I don't know if you know Denki from Dundee? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. So Denki makes these little computer games which are so they've got like an internal pitching process which it's like mm-hmm. dragon's den but only for people within the company they oh, say hey okay. if you've got an idea for a game we do this pitching like once every so often you get up in front of everyone and say hey here's some a game idea that i've got and then if like a couple of people say you know that sounds really good you should do that then maybe you get together with your own team of like maybe two or three people because it's like super simple games i think they're best known game was Denki Blocks which is kind of like a little puzzle game but anyway it was the fact that you've got some ownership and I was like yeah I want to be not just a tiny cog working on some programming thing and having to deal with this one thing because going to university I was so excited oh yeah the reason that I got since mentioned Edge sorry bringing it back was that (laughs) Edge kind of said oh yeah there's this new course starting up and I was like oh my god this is brilliant it's Mm. starting up you know a year after I'm planning to finish school or like around the same time and so let me go in and so I was the second year ever to start this course so when I started there hasn't been even a full four years of it yet so they were making stuff up as they went along a little bit which I didn't appreciate Mm. now I'm going to say that there was a little bit of a conflict between whether this course, how much of it should be about design as and how much of it should be about programming. The first year was okay and um, it's like I wasn't diagnosed at the time but it's likely looking back that I was clinically depressed. I was at one point sleeping 20 hours a day. Yeah, it wasn't good. It was and then I tried um second year a second time I did fail and then second time around it was like you know this isn't for me I stayed in Dundee I bought a lot of SNES games I worked for um some supermarkets I don't want to even then I worked into the same one in Dundee whilst my friends finished their term and then it was like okay I still get to live with them I still get to kind of experience that student lifestyle I basically spend my nights working at the supermarkets because I was doing night shift and then my afternoons playing SNES and my morning sleeping and that was basically my life for a while and you know I did a good bit of you know socializing with people on my mm-hmm. days off I would go clubbing you know because hey I can stay up all nights hardcore and basically see the sunrise literally every day um, <laughs> and so that was it and then I started yeah so it's kind of all about the games it's not just about board games but at the same time I there was this person Chris something um they have this amazing blog online like life is only a game or something I I feel bad now right it's like all these names pop into your head and it's like oh I should know that person for ages, I was reading this blog every day where they were talking about games from a really philosophical viewpoint. They talked a lot about philosophy, about the human desires for what we want to do and the human needs. And because it ties in so perfectly and about the emotions that games evoke, like Nicole Lazario, obviously talking about Fierro and things like that. And then talking about the Naches, like the Jewish 
thing where it's about the pride in something that someone else is achieving. And mm. one thing that he said at one point was, hey, if you want to make video games, you should actually make a game using a traditional deck of playing cards, 52 playing cards, make that game because you can do it and it's a good practice if you want to make mm. video games. I did that. I also made a... Um, and then I think the first real physical game that I had custom components for, I want to say, was a collect, a, a sort of trading card game. It was very much inspired by CCGs. I have a history with magic, don't get me wrong. It was based on a theme of Newgrounds. So you know Newgrounds, the website? Mm. Well, at Newgrounds, the website, there's like all these flash animations. It was basically like, let's try and get your things to be number one on the page. And it's like kind of battling against other people. And like that's the plot of the game where you're getting your things to be launched and spending time on your flash animation. So it was basically a game about making video games and animations. That's amazing. I love that as a way of, of getting around that design challenge. Because that's that's actually become sort of a much more mainstream approach as well. I mean, I know that like the XCOM game came across because it's so complicated. They they had a load of problems in development and they ended up turning that into a board game to work through all of the the challenges of the complexity of it and then they converted that back into a computer game and that's how the XCOM <laughs> computer game was yeah. made so um, having that kind of analogue solutions for digital challenges is actually a really fascinating area and I think it's expanding more and more these days I mean honestly it was just because hey I'm having fun working with paper because you can work so much faster and you can make things straight away I can just draw a thing on cards and you know even if it's um you know, maybe I don't have that many people to test it with nowadays, but I still have Layla and Chris and McCall. It's like, okay, I know you shouldn't test with just your friends, but right now, I look, I'm making games in which you're trying to do speedy things with cards, where you're putting your fingers on things, where you're slapping down, you're shouting. That just does not work on Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator or anything. It's just no point it's, in playing that. It's always still better to play test than not play test, though. So, you know, you do the mm, best you can absolutely. in the circumstances you have. And right now, we're all having to adapt to that. And if that means that you can't do blind play tests right now, then you can't do blind play tests right now. At least you're doing something. Yeah, and I used to like Euro games a lot more as my main kind of, okay, this is what I enjoy. I came to board games, like, let's say hobbyist board games, I came to it via Go. I know that's obviously quite a bit older than modern board games, but, you know, like, the game that's, like, 2000, whatever years old, and with that, I started playing that. I'd been interested in this game. I was like, oh, cool, you can play it online. This was while I was at uni, and then played it, and then when I got back to Glasgow, I found out some Go clubs, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm really enjoying playing this with people, even outside the friends that I normally have. I'm enjoying meeting new people via this medium. But I wonder if there's like clubs like this for, you know, other games. I went onto the internet looking for board game clubs. I found the Board Game Geek and was like, wow, this is a really cool website. Wow, there's a lot of games here. Oh man, okay, so that, hey, let's see it. And so I found this group called Primordial Games being run in someone's house. First ever night, we played Lost Cities by Reiner Canizia because myself and a friend, I took a friend just so it's a bit safe, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. 
If you go to someone's house, I can get Yeah, that. and then, you know, go, went to there and it, lovely people, lovely people. Ian Smith, Julia Smith, Nick Pittman, lovely people. Anyway, so they said, hey, we're in the middle of this game, but you know what? If you can borrow one of these games and then play this and then once we're done, you'll probably be done as well. This is Lost Cities. I'll teach it to you. And then they taught us the game. We played the game and then we finished around the same time as they were finishing their bigger game and then we all played Puerto Rico together which um, Puerto Rico at the time number one on Boards Game Geek and I was thinking oh my god this is like the biggest game on Boards Game Geek and then I realized afterwards you know Boards how little that actually means but you know for a while it was like my big objective to be like okay if it's in the top 100 I have to play it otherwise I'm not like a real gamer which you know I'm no longer of that, so okay, we had this big conversation of what is a gamer, what is a designer. Yeah, and and it's weird, isn't it, how those are shifting goalposts all the time. Like I, I talk to a lot of mm. people about like, what was your journey into board games and tabletop games as part of the podcast? And a lot of the time they go, oh well, they weren't real games because you know I was only playing Monopoly, and it's like, well, that's still still a board game and you know it's like what's the distinction yeah what's the distinction between a hobby board game and like a mainstream board game my family were obsessed with trivial pursuit well that's <laughs> not that's not a, like a hobby board game is it but that was still responsible for me being sort of primed to be yeah. keen on board games when i discovered this wider world of like the more traditional hobby board game because i already had a habit of playing board games on a regular basis i right? mean i look behind you and i can see memoir 44 and yes. you could say that's exactly like trivial pursuits because i mean you've got spaces and you're moving things from one space to another based mm -hmm. on knowing how many spaces you are allowed to move mm-hmm i mean i know and in both of those games trivial pursuits and memoir 44 you get to choose where to go yeah so, i mean look in all seriousness i know that there's a lot of differences but i'm kind of just reaffirming what you say that it yeah. is priming you because even the notion of taking a turn to do this thing on your turn to draw a card what these things mean yeah you know even parlor games like charades is like a <laughs> cultural thing like For sure. even my grandma plays charades it is a very traditional thing that when you get a group of people together you don't know what to do with them <laughs> and it's usually family it's usually at christmas then well i suppose we'll pull out the monopoly or we'll play charades <laughs> or we'll we'll do pictionary right it's all stuff that is like a default for us and so that's why i think then we are quite primed to move into like more hobby based more complex yeah. board games and that's probably you know because germany is like the biggest market and then you've got the uk and then you've got the us and obviously as i said like that obviously everyone in every culture games are an element like we've found games from there's 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 depictions of uh, some kind of board game that we don't quite know how it works but like on the inside of Egyptian tombs like mm. they're all over the world and everyone plays games in some way and it all throughout history. I mean we've got this new technology like I mean reading and writing mm. is a relatively new thing I mean back in the day in Egyptian times illiteracy would be the norm whereas nowadays you know don't get me wrong there is still sadly some illiteracy within our own country and there are these things that need to be solved, but suddenly you can read numbers on cards. Mm. And the invention of the traditional playing cards, it was slightly more than 500 years ago, I think, that they actually became what they currently are, which to my mind, it, it's not that long. And like this technology of paper, 
of being able to print things. You know, nowadays, it's like Keyforge is a game that has happened because of modern printing technology, like yes. digital printing. And it's astonishing that that is a thing. And Keyforge is just the the first example of that happening. Where is that going to evolve to? Do you know what I mean? Like of like people, mm. and it probably isn't the first, but like that thing of here's a random selection and it's different. And I know lots of board games are starting to do it as well, where you get like a unique pack of different stuff in the boxes. I mean, they had that Discovery Lands Unknown, I think yes, it was called. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, they both came out at a similar time. Mm. I mean, there was so much disdain for Discovery Lands Unknown, and I've read, I actually bought that because it was, like, reduced to a five or something mm. at, somewhere, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to buy it just to see what it's all about. Mm. And everyone says it's terrible, but I'd like to try it myself. And um, I don't know, maybe, look, Richard Garfield is pretty inventive, and so is it Magic the Gathering is still arguably... You could make a case for it still being the best CCG out there. I'm not saying that it is, but I'm just saying that it is arguably for sure. No one is going to argue that it's not at least amongst the best. I Absolutely. And so is it so impossible to believe that frankly keyforge might sadly be the best example we ever have yeah. of digital printing it's a possibility yeah, it might be but i love the idea that the gaming industry constantly builds mm. on the history of the games that have come before it so you never know like we can't predict where that's going to lead in the future which mm. for me is a really exciting prospect and i'm yeah. sure you do as well as, as someone who thinks about game design and it's always sort of in the back of your head you like there's you just think oh someone is going to come up with a really innovative way of using that might not be me but i can see that there's potential there for someone to come up with a really clever innovative thing that will change the way that we think about board games or it will change our approach to the way that we think what is a game or what is a hobby game and I love that potential you know. I think that's the thing I think that back in the day when I first saw those images on the ZX Spectrum when you go through that portal it's like okay what's going to happen like there's a real sense of wonderment and discovery and so it's all about that potential and then after seeing these Euro games like I fell in love with for sure ticket to ride and enjoying these games and then buying them this would be a way of us spending more time together and having mm. something to do which is a lovely thing and then at some point um i had a friend um joel tangum which we used to have a weekly tradition we'd go for a walk and then we'd play a game and then that would be like our kind of morning afternoon routine once a week and it was a lovely thing and at a certain point joel says to me you know what there's a lot of games out there that are about turning one type of resource into another type of resource and I'm getting a bit tired of that and it's like funny because that kind of covers so much that's highly rated on BGG and then there's so many other games that don't do that at all that we almost dismiss like you were talking about quiz games about party games about dexterity games and it's like I really love D-Macker, Power Grid, Agricola, don't get me wrong these are masterpieces but then there's something additional that could be done, something like more expansive. And also, not to mention, in terms of theme, Joel said, you know what, there's a lot of games, aren't there, where you're trying to kill people or hurt people or take them off the board. And so that's why, actually, the first ever thing that I started working on after I was already exposed to Euro games was a thing that for a while I called it Hex Chit Game, which 
it's not a war game at all. It just happened that there were lots of hexes. Instead of being about battling, it was, okay, you're a furious wizard. You're trying to find something. And at least um, it's a wee bit different. And now jumping ahead, like it feels like nowadays, like I basically, I'm just going to try and plow through this quickly because like I came to London, like maybe eight, 10 years ago. Again, I don't know exactly how many years ago it was. <laughs> I start. I found Playtest UK that was amazing. Like Rob Harris started at top. There was like this group of people who were like, "Yeah, I learned more about games playtesting other people's things." It was like a big crash course, mm. and this was what I'd always wanted because, you know, I finished my university degree after like the programming thing, which I didn't finish. I went back to college to do graphic design, and then I did digital art and 3D animation. I want to say, so what I really care about is the design, it's the rules, it's the kind of fact that you can make a tweak and then it changes everything. Mm. And then this is like, wow, I'm learning so much. And I learned so much from Mark Rosewater. Look, I read, there was, I can't say this anymore, but there was a time when I could say I've read literally everything that Mark Rosewater has written. Mm -hmm. And that was up to maybe the 400th um, blog post or something like that. And there is so much, I mean, the wow isn't in me reading it. It's in Mark Rosewater passing on all that information. Yeah, There's indeed. so much good stuff there. Ludology, the um, Who, What, Why podcast. Like, that's amazing. Talking to people, getting a little bit into why are they doing these things. And... Nowadays, there's additional podcasts. Um, there's the Game Design Roundtable, stuff like that, and, of course, Board Game Design Lab. But, um, like... It was all these being able to get knowledge from everyone and the GDC, like how they have a lot of stuff that is actually design related. Mm. And so being able to look at it when I was okay in the morning, maybe going to work and moving around flowers. And that was my work in London for a bit of time. I learned so much from going to Playtest UK and from having people like Brett Gilbert. This was at the time only once a month. So every Friday I would go. Um, Mondays I would generally go um, where we were play testing in the pub. And there was also one on South London, which I typically generally would never go. But there was also one in the pub on a Sunday, on one Sunday a month. And so I would personally go if I was not at a convention, I would personally go to about two and a half, two and a quarter every week, um, let's say. Wow. And that's a really good amount. It teaches me so much and I've learned so much to all these people. Mm. Like, because how can you not when there's other designers and you see how they tweak their things? Like Fabio Lopiano obviously has made some, started to become a bit better known thanks to Kalamala and Ragusa and stuff and all these other people and I'm so grateful for all the help that they instigated and it's also not just people that I could tell you about that you'd say oh yeah I know that person like Brett Gilbert or Matthew Dunstan Mm. it's also Ben Neumann American Ben who back in the day 2013 was when I started my first game that would go on to be mass produced and which was um now known as Yogi obviously Mm and for those who don't know um, back then, I can't remember what it was called. This was back in prototype form. First ever prototype. It was a game about passing around cards. It was ridiculously overcomplicated. Let's not get into that. <laughs> and Ben Neumann tells me, look, Bez, you've got a game about passing around cards and stealing cards from other people. 
that's a decent game. But you've also got this other game, which this one card, I'm going to paraphrase that one card. It was something like, stand up. If you ever sit down, give this card to someone else. If you have this card at the end of the game, 10 points. Yeah. And so there was this one card, which could help you certainly get from last place to first place. And so it was a bit... It was the whole game was flipping ridiculous, but um, I got permission. I shouldn't have needed permission, but Ben Neumann said to me, "Look, you've got this one card which is about physical stuff. If you want a game about physical stuff, then why not just do it?" And I did it, and I had for a while cards that were forcing people to do sit-ups and spin <laughs> around and close their eyes and run around the table. It was for a while a lot more intense than it ever will be again because then I kind of tamed it down so that everything can be done in conjunction and it got simplified and simplified and then I made a game that was like yeah I'm really enjoying this people are enjoying this I should put this on Kickstarter because I'd heard about Kickstarter and it seems like a way to get money I had lots of time but um, not much money and so anyway so like that was during my Kickstarter that I got mm. fired. Um, and yeah, I had like a bit of a. I don't know if. Like, sorry for bringing up depression again. But like, I had a thing where I went to the job center. I said, Look, I've been fired. And then I had a bit of a breakdown. And then after a while, they said, You know what? I'm really sorry. I thought maybe I could um, take on your case, but I shouldn't have. I'm going to refer you to this person who's dealing with people who are maybe I think it was someone who's basically dealing with people who aren't quite as able to work which was a weird thing to be told okay you're not quite as they didn't phrase it in that particular way but um mm. I signed up with my GP and well I'd already signed up I was referred to the GP the GP said hey why are you here I said look I went to the job center I broke down crying they suggested that I see you to see if I've got depression and then they gave me like the questionnaire and I did a mm. had a bit of an interview and I went to some um counseling group counseling kind of workshopy things and then that was marginally helpful but not massively and then they put me on drugs which sertraline and then they said hey this should help take the edge off a bit and they actually start wanted me to start taking drugs a lot earlier than I actually mm. did and so anyway um I did back then it was called in a bind now it's called yogi back then it was like okay my own artwork my own yeah labor of love wow this is really stressing me out I'm doing all this artwork and then for the expansion deck I did things in a more lackadaisical quick style mm. because I was like okay I've got all this artwork to do it took me like hundreds of hours to do all those pictures for all those other things okay for these ones you know what I'm just going to do them super quickly. I'm not even going to erase anything. I'm going to do draw the pencil. I'm going to do brush and ink on top of that. And that and actually the fact that it's in a different style will make it clear. This is the original deck. This is the expansion pack. Yeah. And so then people who have a copy of the expansions, a lot of them told me, actually, 
we preferred this art style, which to me was really interesting. Mm. And that was basically how I got into making board games. Wow, that's a journey. And I don't think you should ever apologise for talking about, um, you know, things like depression or your, your personal journey, because they are important factors of your what you discover about you that you want to do. But had I been more open-minded about myself, it, you know, going through that, I would have had a much easier time because I realise now, looking back, that I've had depression and anxiety for a very, very long time. But mm. I was very much like, no, I'm fine. I'll just keep <laughs> pursuing it. And actually, if I'd just taken a minute and gone, ah, yeah, that, that yeah, clearly, clearly. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting how those experiences kind of guided you into making your own thing for yourself and mm. that being like a thing that you were concentrating on and funneling your energy into in that time. I mean, it for sure concentrating on it, but then also I don't think I can be a person who does just one thing at a time. Mm. I have memories of being at university and saying, okay, if I haven't done X, then I'm not going to do anything else mm. until I have finished X. It's like kind of, okay, unless I've finished this project for uni, I'm not going to go out with my friends, I'm not going to enjoy myself, I'm not going... I need to do this X or nothing. But the thing is, we're not robots. We need to be out with our friends, especially if, you know, you and I, I think you are also one person who enjoys... I've seen you at the Mingler at, like, Hookah yeah. Games Expo. What was it, 2019, 2018? It was the one that happened in real life before everything went weird so yeah i think it was 2019 was it that recently um it kind of feels like everything feels like so so long ago but anyway um while i was trying to finish off this artwork for in a bind i was like yeah i can't do this and so what i did you know matthew dunstan like the designer who's i don't know what they're best known for um they were kenner spiel this CRS nominated i want to say for something i can't remember what I'm really sorry, Matthew, um, but <laughs> Matthew's done, um, I know they did Chocolate Factory for Alley Cat Games, which, yeah. um, but they've done a lot of other things. Elysium, um, was Elysium Kennerspiel nominated? I don't know. Mm, I have to look that up. Anyway, the point is that Matthew Dunstan had this idea where they were going to say, okay, I'm going to invent a game every day, and then they kept that up for a bit of time. Mm. And was, okay, let's just do some stuff. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to keep this up for as long as I can. And I ended up doing it for like 81 days. I started in January and every day I would either, while I was ride, riding my bike, I'd be like, okay, here's a cool idea. And then I'd put it down and then type it up. And I sometimes had a kind of log of about five days in the future. Sometimes it was literally, oh, I need to get this up before midnight. Well, technically before it hits, I think, 5 a.m. UK time, so that I've got one up every day. And so um, sometimes it would be just like, okay, I'm going to do a whole lot of brainstorming, I'm going to do that publicly, just churn out like 20 ideas or 30 ideas, one-liners. Mm -hmm. More often it was, okay, here's a solid idea, and the next step for this idea would be to actually prototype it. And that's where I came up with Wibble, which mm. was the first game for the L deck. Then I playtested that and it was like, oh, this is good. And I've learned since I started working on In a Bind, now known as Yogi, and now in 2020. And like everything worked. And then it was like, okay, it's all evolved. And then, you know, thanks to Dave Cousins, like they pitched my game to Jigamic and other companies. And they got multiple people saying, hey, we'd really like to have your game. And then Jigamic made me an offer that I didn't refuse. Yeah. But, um, you know, it turned out incredibly well that it is basically 
paying for my rent and I'm incredibly privileged that mm. frankly I it's no ticket to ride or pandemic or wingspan but it is a game that is successful and will hopefully continue being successful mm-hmm. it's got a sequel now and presumably like it'll have a junior version at some point and it feels like as long as it keeps selling and it feels now like where I am now I've got I realize at the start of this year my self-published things are unlikely to ever be profitable. Mm. The truth is, the sad truth is that even though I'm very proud of everything I've done with the Eldic and everything I've done with Kitty Cataclysm, okay, I want, I would have been better off financially mm. had I never done any self-publishing or self-published stuff after In a Bind. And that is quite sad in some ways to reflect upon. But then when I thought about it and I was like, okay, between Nuremberg and Cannes, like before I went to Nuremberg, I made sure in like the couple of weeks beforehand, I worked really hard on this, um, on having like a couple of games. I had like this one drawing thing, which it turns out that it's a bit like something that came out from USAopoly, mm-hmm. like basically six months later that then people found out about it and they were like, hey, this other game's coming out that's a bit similar to yours, so we're not going to make it. But hey-ho, wrong timing. Yeah, we've had that a couple of times too. These things happen. Yeah, it happens. It was kind of like there's different reasons for making games. Mm. And yes, ideally, everything in life, we would divorce the financial success from the emotional feeling of validation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But it has allowed me to say, you know what, okay, this couple of games, I've got some speed games that involve spotting things on cards and they were really enjoyed by people and so maybe that's the thing that's going to um be potentially not mass mass market like yogi isn't mass mass market it's not going mm. to sell a million copies in the next um couple of years probably but it's it might sell a million copies eventually so it's fairly mass market yeah but it's like all a measure and but like i've got to admit okay at this point i am doing things like DL deck, I'm still very committed to doing that, to doing that for the rest of my life, and to curating this community, to being like, hey, this is a game system that I've created. That's Andrew Dennison. When I went to UK Games Expo 20, yeah, it was 2015, like just the same year that um, In a Bind was coming out, and being like, mm-hmm. hey, here's a cool new thing I've got. And then Andrew Dennison being like, hey, okay, you've got these two games, how about this other game? And then me be like, whoa, you can arrange these letters in alphabetical order? Well, of course you can, but I would not have thought of that. I would only have thought of making words or making stories or making sentences. And so because of that, it made me realize, yes, this game needs to be a game system, not just Wibble. It needs to be the L deck. Mm. And so like now I'm really proud that there's like Wibble and Puzzle and Couple, like a two-player cooperative game and like all these things. And like I'm like doing um, Seize the Power, which is like being signed up by Inside the Box, but... Um, a little bit on my side I've been a bit slow at kind of helping them get properly stuck into development to be honest mm. um, but it is a game that's really proud of even as it is it's about bigotry discrimination subjugation of power and negotiation and it's the things that it's about is what happens in the game mm. so you have these characters and it's like hey you don't have enough eyes to get much money you don't deserve this money or hey everyone gets as one money for every pair of arms they have okay people without eye stocks cannot go to school um 
and then these rules are in the player's hands, so the players decide whether this affects you or not. And so that's where it gets into subjugational power because mm. you can say, hey, um, you're entitled to money, but, you know, maybe you should give me one money of that to make sure that you get at least one. Otherwise, you're not going to get anything. Wow. And so that's totally within the rules of the game. People can band together. And that's why I think... Although we're investigating, can you go down fewer than four players? It's all about that negotiation and like kind of tying into games can do so much more. And I'm really excited to be like, okay, yeah, these things I get paid for. And these things, hey, I'm self-publishing. I've got absolute control over and I'm just putting them out there for a ego because i want to have these things out in the world like yeah, plus and it's i've had this really interesting conversation um in a previous podcast uh the mike and grace one where we talk about defining your own success mm. um and i thought that was really like grace was talking uh, and they were saying how uh they define their success as not always being about money it's about yeah. you know helping other people or seeing other people succeed or about knowing that other people are enjoying the thing that you're creating and i think it's really interesting how we quite often the only measure for success that we use you know is is money is like did i sell it sad. did i turn it into a thing that i can com- have a commercial benefit from and actually grace's view um was that you don't need to always monetize things mm. you define your success you can feel like you've achieved something by just deciding that you want to make a thing and just making it the act of making it is the success and so it it's nice that you have that ability to make things that bring you joy and bring other people joy while also still being involved you do have like a side that makes money but you know you were yeah. saying like how your live streams aren't necessarily focused on the game design aspect they aren't necessarily about monetization they're about making a thing so that other people can get involved right i mean look i i could have gone twitch affiliate several months ago if i wanted but i chose not to and the reason for that is basically one i don't want everyone watching to have to watch ads Mm. and honestly like the twitch ads kind of feel a bit obtrusive and if I don't go affiliate, then they don't put up adverts. So I'm happier with that. Secondly, if I go Twitch affiliate, then according to the thing, which I wasn't aware of, you look through the thing and it says you're not allowed to multi-stream. So I'm not allowed, I wouldn't be allowed to stream on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook. And so, for example, there's Javier, who nowadays is watching quite often on YouTube. I'd love them to come onto Twitch and join the conversation and be like, I mean, I've got some amazing people who've joined along the way, like Sates, who's, and like Alan, who I mentioned earlier, and it's like, there's, it's like building a community, and I think Sates said early on, that's why people continue to watch, because of the community, and it feels like it's getting to that point where, yeah, there's like, you know, today there was like 13, 14 people watching at point for quite a while and it's like there's so much conversation happening about editing of games and yes it is about design but it's also about it is about marketing because Mm. like we talk about marketing we talk about psychology we pick a focus each and there's like so many guests that i'm amazed to have been able to learn from like next week i've got shem phillips and martin wallace and um then i've got like you know a big thing with like Emma Janssen, who's like just a delight to chat to. 
and it's like being able to chat to people in this day and age is one of my favorite things and being able to do that in a okay we're going to finish by 12 o'clock but um we're going to start at this time we might even have a 20 minute chat beforehand if you want and there's something lovely about that it kind of maintains sanity and that's I see it, look, I'm not blind to the fact that there is going to be some incidental self-promotion. Well, yeah, and for sure, I mentioned myself, I talk about, at the start, I made sure to say, you know, I'm going to be up front. I just dedicated an entire show about each of my, like, one about In a Bind, one about um, Kitty Cataclysm, like, mm. a whole, like, there were about 10 shows that were this whole show is about one of my games and some of them it was like okay i'm going to review someone else's thing some of them like nowadays it's more and more guests and that's like lovely thing that people are willing to give their time to come on and chat together and when you're streaming it's like yes we have this chat and there's all these people and it's just super lovely and oh yeah if people want to watch that i should i guess i should say it's twitch.tv slash stuff my bears and it's 10 a.m uk time every day so until I emigrate from the UK, I'm probably <laughs> going to... Uh, if I go to South Korea, which I plan to, I'll mm -hmm. probably stop for a while and then restart like maybe a week later and start 10am 10 10am South Korean time and have like a bit of a break and it'll be like, okay, this is season two and maybe <laughs> I'll start up again and, you know, people will be <laughs> warned by that time difference or whatever and for a while I was like look am I going to change it because as the clocks change it's slightly worse for people in Australia do mm -hmm. I change it to 11am and then I chatted to people and they were like no you're the person who does it every single day and mm -hmm. they come on like maybe once or twice or three times yeah, you can't keep changing yourself because one person can't do it that's very unfortunate but otherwise you'll just be turning yourself in knots won't you yeah like I don't have I don't tend to have American people on my show mm. because it's 10 a.m. UK time. I have had Eric Slauson and Danny Goodesman on and one of them just wakes up naturally incredibly early. Mm -hmm. One of them woke up around, I want to say for them it was something like 3 a.m. and then they chatted for an hour and a bit and then they went back to sleep, which, wow, someone to do that, to come onto my show was, wow, I appreciate that. Mm. But... um. It feels like a nice thing that I would probably continue doing just because I like learning about board games and it's been a really nice morning routine, let's say. Mm. Yeah. So that is a really fascinating journey. Uh, it's really interesting, mm. uh, all the different things you've done and the experiences you've had along the way. Just quickly then at the end, what's the one tip you would give to someone who wants to work in the tabletop games industry? Oh man, just one. <laughs> um, oh, just one. Okay, so um, the one tip that I'm going to give right now, take care of yourself. Mm. Seriously, um, one thing that I say when I do Board Game Design 101 talks is whatever you want to do is okay. Like people, if you want to do something because you want to earn money, that's okay. People say, oh, don't do this because of money. But it's okay to want money. It's okay to say, I need money for this thing. It's okay to say, you know what? I am going to purposefully design a card game that is a bit more mass market because maybe a card game is easier to self-publish. Maybe that's easier to mass produce. Maybe it's cheaper. Maybe it's simpler to 
more possible to go mass market, that's okay. It's okay to make a game, just a single copy of a game, as a declaration of love. It's okay to reskin um, Love Letter with pictures of your friends because it's one of your friend's birthdays and you want to have this personal thing between you and you want to create this artifact. It's okay to do this. It's okay to um, just start doing a thing. And um, to some degree, you don't want to just do it and you want to think a little bit about why are you doing it mm. and yeah with playtesting for sure it's get it on the table as soon as you can because if it's just an idea in your head how do you know how will people react to it mm. look before you embark on the journey it's okay to just do it once but are you actually taking on additional responsibilities for yourself before you believe okay this is something that i can do as a new career think about what expectations do you have think about why are you doing this and remember, it's okay to do this in a variety of ways. That's, those reasons might differ not just from person to person, but from project to project. And I've created things like as a declaration of love, and I've created things to just say, hey, this is a thing that I really want to exist. I've created things because I've said, you know what, this is a thing that I want to pitch to this company because I want to get paid by this company. And so I'm going to think hard about how I can bring something new i'm going to really focus on this style of game and try to make something slightly different within this space and also be kind to yourself take care of yourself because so often we feel like we are the sum total of what we've done but we are so much more than that we're not just what we've done we're not just our past we're not just our future we're not just our presence we're not just our creations we're not just our interactions with other people. We're not just what we enjoy or what we hate. We're the sum total of all of that and more besides. Obviously, take care of yourself. Be kind to other people. Be awesome. And but just, like, just take care of yourself. That's a really poignant point to end on, I think, and has been a running theme throughout our chat today, actually. So thank you so oh. much. This has been so interesting and thank such you. a fun meandering chat. <laughs> I love going into the weeds with people and going on huge tangents. And it's been really <sighs> interesting to hear your perspective on things as well. It has been so wonderful. Thank you for inviting me onto this show. And it's like been such a delight catching up. And that was Bez. I want to say a huge thank you to Bez for chatting to me. And again, sorry for taking so long and getting this one out the door. I've really enjoyed hosting this series and we do have a load more podcasts coming up. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you.